name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, today we see Christ feeding the multitude, right? He feeds the multitude, the five loaves and the two fish, and we always recognize that this is a type of the Eucharist, right? This is basically Christ giving Himself to the people, and that's why you'll see that this is in the context of Christ speaking of Himself as the bread of life. It's not obvious in the passage according to the Gospel of St. Luke, but it's much more obvious in the Gospel according to St. John. Right? But in any sense, we know that what Christ is giving the people is much more than five loaves and two fish. Right? It's actually His bread of life, which is the Eucharist. Right? This is what communion is all about. Christ giving us His life, giving us His love, giving us an opportunity to partake of His divinity. Okay? And so that's how we accomplish the purpose of our life. We are created to be one with Christ, right? We are created to unite with Him. The purpose of our life is to have communion, right? When we talk about the Eucharist, we call it communion, right? That word literally means to be in union with someone. There is no greater purpose than that. There's no greater purpose in our life than to be united with God. And we accomplish that when we partake of His body and His blood. Right? And so when you think about the Eucharist as a sacrament, it's not just one of many sacraments. Right? Nor can we say it's just a sacrament more important than the others. But it's the fulfillment of our life. Right? It's the goal of our life, is to be united with Christ. Father Eljander Shmemen says, The Eucharist is the sacrament of the church. The act in which and for which the church always becomes that which she is. The fathers understood the Eucharist as the focus, the source and the fulfillment of the entire life of the church. The sacrament of the church's self-manifestation and edification. What makes the church what it is, is the fact that the church gives us communion. Right? The defining function of the church is the fact that it gives us communion. She gives us Christ. Right? Think about any other object in your life. Its function is what defines it. Right? Think of, I don't know, like a coaster at home. And you put a mug on top of the coaster. What makes it a coaster is that you can put a cup on top of it. Right? What makes these pews a place for you to sit is that you can go and sit on them. Right? That's the function of these objects, right? What makes a back brace a back brace is that it can protect your back, right? <laughs> what makes the church a church is that it gives us communion, right? Apart from that, church is nothing more than a gathering, right? Just a social event, as spiritual it may be, right? And so what the church gives us is eternal life. The church gives us a connection to the, the purpose of our life. The church opens the door for our salvation by giving us the body and the blood of Christ. Right now, today we celebrated the baptism of Ethan, whose name is Carlos. And in the sacrament of baptism, we always see that it begins this process. Right? From baptism we celebrate the sacrament of chrismation and then we celebrate the Eucharist, right? 
you will never see a child get baptized and then the family just goes home to have lunch. Right? The, the family will never come for baptism, chrismation, and then just go have a fun day at the park. No, you stick around and you pray liturgy. You take communion, right? If anything, the very purpose of baptism and chrismation is communion, right? If we're baptized and we're chrismated, we don't take communion, we don't have access to the Eucharist, we don't come to partake of His body and His blood, then it was all for nothing. It was all for nothing because the very purpose of our life is to be united with God, right? Baptism is the death and resurrection, right? You're reborn. Chrismation, you're sanctified by the Spirit. You're consecrated to be a vessel for God. Okay, now that you're reborn and you're consecrated as a vessel for God, filled by His Spirit, what's next? Well, now I unite with God. He enters in my body, right? He abides in me and I in Him through the Eucharist, right? And so, I want you to think of the simple analogy. Okay, let's say... You have a cup at home. Okay, it's, it's a dirty cup that was just sitting around for a while. And ultimately you want to dedicate this cup as a coffee mug. Okay? And you want to use it for nothing but your special morning coffee. Right? But it's been sitting around, it's dirty for us. So what are you going to do? First, you're just going to wash it. That's the most obvious thing to do. Wash it, make it clean. Like spanking new. Right? That's baptism. Fresh new start. Brand new. That's the sacrament of baptism, right? So just put that in your mind whenever you define the, the sacrament of baptism. The renewal through the Spirit giving us a new start. Okay? And then chrismation is whenever we are sanctified by the Spirit. Right? The Spirit consecrates us as a vessel dedicated for God. right? The same way as Moses was instructed to consecrate the altar. And the table that he used was no longer any ordinary table. It's just now dedicated for the Eucharist. You don't have coffee on it. You don't have lunch on it. You don't have a study date on it. It's just for offering the sacrifice to God. It's consecrated. Dedicated for one purpose and for one purpose alone. So after you wash your mug, you say, this is now officially my morning coffee mug. I'm not going to use it for tea. I'm not going to use it for a cup of water. No one can dare use it as a paperweight. It's just for my morning coffee and that's it. Right? But now imagine you do all that work. You washed it. You posted on Instagram and Facebook, Hey, I got this new mug. Now it's dedicated for my morning coffee. You did all the official stuff. But then it just sits around. Never does it see a drop of coffee. <laughs> then it was all for nothing. The fulfillment of all the work that you started to do happens whenever you wake up in the morning and you fill it with coffee. Then if the mug could speak, it would be like, ah, now I'm complete. This is what I was created for. Finally, I have a ton of nice hot coffee inside of me. Right? And so the very purpose of our life is to be one with God. is to unite with Him. It's for Him to abide in us and for us to abide in Him. Right? And that's what the Eucharist is all about. The Eucharist is about our union with God. And that's why we call it communion. 
Father Alexander Shmamin says, Baptism, we are told, integrates us into the church. But the church's ultimate being and essence are revealed in and through the Eucharist. If the Eucharist is truly the sacrament of the church, and not only one of the church's sacraments, then of necessity to enter the church is to enter into the Eucharist. Then the Eucharist is indeed the fulfillment of baptism. If you're entering the church, you're entering for one purpose, to be united with God, and that's what the Eucharist gives us. That's what God gives the multitude. In feeding the multitude with the five loaves and the two fish, it's a figure of communion. Right? You don't enter a restaurant just to chat with someone. You enter a restaurant to have a meal. You don't enter a coffee shop just to scroll through social media. You enter a coffee shop to grab a cup of coffee. Now, you could enter for ulterior motives, right? But that's not what it's for, right? I could come here just to socialize, but that's not what church is for. I could come here just to network, but that's not what church is for. Yes, there are other functions in the church, right? Other benefits. We have a beautiful community. We can network. We can just have fun and all of that. That's great. But is that the essence of the church? Is that why I am here? Is that why I wake up every morning to go to church? The night before I come here, is that really what's on my mind? I can't wait to receive Christ. I can't wait for Him to abide in me and for me to abide in Him. Right? And so how I approach the sacrament speaks for what I believe about the sacrament. Right? If I truly value it, I'm going to invest into it. Right? The night before... I'm prepared. I look at the readings. I set my alarm for 7.30, so I can at least get here by 8. Right? If you're just going to hop out of bed, brush your teeth, and get in the car. Right? Which is half of the time, that's what I do, which is okay. Right? But don't tell me you're trying. Whatever your alarm is set for like 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'll get there when I get there. Right? That's what I used to do in all my college classes. Right? And I'm going to try to get to class, but... My alarm is set for like a half hour after class starts. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not really trying. <laughs> right? And so, if I value this precious gift, the gift of love, the most precious gift known to humanity, then I will approach it with that sort of reverence, with that sort of preparation. There is no gift more precious than what we have on the altar. Think of all the money in the world all the gold, all the precious gems, you put it on one side of the scale and you just put a drop of Christ's blood on the other side and the scale will tip towards the blood. Right? What's more precious than the life of Christ? For the Father to say, I'm giving you my only begotten Son. If He had a more precious gift, He would have given it. But there's nothing more precious than Christ Himself. And that's what we have. We unite with His love. We, we partake of His divinity. This isn't a trivial matter. That's why the church puts so much stringent preparation in front of us. Right? With Asheya and you know, that service that, you know, it's only for Abuna and Tasoni. Asheya and midnight praises and confession and repentance and all of that. Like, we don't do that for any other service. Do you have to go through this preparation process whenever you come to a Bible study? No. 
Do you have to do this sort of preparation whenever you come to Sunday school? No. But the church says, here is something that transcends any other service. Here is something that is so far more precious, it's more excellent than any other service, that it, it, it's in its own realm. Right? It's not one of the sacraments. Don't ever think of the Eucharist in that way. There are the sacraments, and then there is the sacrament of the sacraments, which is the Eucharist. And that's what we have when we enter into the church. Now, if that's what the Eucharist is all about, then what are we without it? What are we without the Eucharist? What are we without life? What are we without oxygen? What are we without the source of life? We're totally dead. And don't think that this is just figurative. Is this not what the father said about the prodigal son? When he returned, he said what? My son was what? Was dead and is alive again. So far as you're distant from me, you're dead. Right? Yes, I may be walking, talking, moving, but in reality, I am dead. I'm not truly living. I'm alive, but I'm not truly living. That's why when we speak of communion as the blood of Christ, we have the life of God Himself. Right? When you look at the Old Testament, when God instructed the Israelites to offer the sacrifice, He said, when you go to offer a sacrifice, that you're forbidden from eating its blood. Why? Just because you can't have a, a rare piece of steak? No, that's fine. You want to have a rare piece of steak? That's fine. But the reason is, he said, because in the creature's blood is its life. Right? The blood constitutes the life of that creature. Right? So when you have a mortal creature, right? Like a lamb or a goat or whatever and you're receiving the blood of that lamb, you are identifying with the mortality of this creature. Right? And we are immortal creatures. And that's why God said, you can't drink that blood. But when He comes and He says, unless you drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you, people were scandalized by it. And that's why they were like, what do you mean? We can't drink the life of any mortal creature. You're telling us to, bring your, to drink your blood? Like, well, yeah, because I'm immortal. This is no ordinary blood. This is what gives you divine life. Right? And that's why people were so scandalized by it. Because what Christ is telling them to partake of His body and His blood is that He is God in the flesh. That He is the source of immortality. Right? So without the Eucharist, we have no nourishment, right? If you don't have to be a doctor to know, as soon as someone is in critical condition and they start to lose a little bit of blood, the doctors will rush right away to find the solution. Typically, it's to give him or her a blood transfusion. You cannot survive without blood in a physical sense. Now, in a spiritual sense, the blood of Christ is what gives us that spiritual oxygen. Right? The blood in your body that supplies oxygen to every one of your organs, right? Is accessible to us on the altar. There's a beautiful story from the life of Abuna Lua Sadaros. 
they brought to him a man who was demon possessed. And immediately as soon as Abu Nalua saw this man, you know, Abu Nalua is bold and audacious. So he spoke directly to the devil and he said, why have you possessed this man? You know what the devil responded to Abu Nalua saying? It's because he has, he has not taken communion for 40 days. And so, what he's saying is, he left himself vulnerable. He let his guard down. He, he detached from the source of life. You know why your phone dies? Anybody have their phone run out of battery here? Ever happened to you before? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Just one? Alright. So, that's typically because you've gone too long without reconnecting it to the source of life, which is the electrical charge. Right? So what happens with us when we are separated from the source of life, which is the altar, this is the tree of life. What Adam and Eve forfeited in paradise is now present to us here. This is the tree of life. What was present in the paradise of joy right, is now made available to us. So that doesn't mean as soon as we go more than 40 days, we're going to be possessed by a devil. Right? But it, it means so long as we are ignoring this sacrament and, and valuing it, then we leave ourselves more vulnerable. Right? And that's the reality of our life. This isn't just something to, to scare you. Right? Nobody's scared about the fact that their phone might, might die after a while. This is normal, right? You just keep it plugged in every once in a while so that you can keep it charged. Right? Same way with us. The same way with us. Now, what happens when we partake of the Eucharist? That's a more important question than to answer what happens when we don't partake of the Eucharist. What happens when we partake of the Eucharist is that we become invincible. If we truly partake of the Eucharist, right, with humility and faith, and if we don't experience that sort of power, then we have to question our approach. If I walk out of church the very same way that I walked into church, I have to ask myself, why? Why was there no change? Right? Why don't I feel any closer to God? Right? If you eat a meal and you're still hungry, you're not full, you have to ask yourself why. You have to wonder why. Right? Maybe you didn't eat enough. Maybe you didn't eat the right food. Maybe you just ate a bunch of salad and it wasn't real sustenance. Right? But you have to wonder why. Right? So we should be transformed. To the extent that St. John Chrysostom says, The Eucharist is a fire that inflames us. Let us then return from the table, from the altar, like lions breathing fire having become terrible to the devil. Anybody ever see a lion before? Anybody ever see a lion breathing fire? That's exactly how we look to the devil as soon as we walk out of church. Lions breathing fire. That's no ordinary strength. The devil can't touch. That's why the core of Satan's fight 
is to obstruct our efforts to the Eucharist. The devil will fight harder for that than anything else. He'll, he will fight to prevent us from coming to church, to prevent us from experiencing the grace that we receive at the Eucharist. right? Because he knows nothing is more powerful, nothing defeats him with more power than that. And so that's how we are transformed. We become lions breathing fire. You remember the story of St. John the Short. Right? And he would have the angel protecting the sacrifice standing next to him. And he would see this angel. Right? The same angel that I dismiss at the end of liturgy. Right? When I say, oh the angel of the sacrifice flying up with his hand, remember us before the Lord. So remember I sprinkle the water up there and I typically try to get it to the ceiling. Right? That angel is there to protect us and to protect the Eucharist. And he would see this angel going to attack those who were not prepared. And he would like try to hold him back. Like, hey, just give him a little bit of time. Like, try to be a little bit more patient with her. Like, an angel would have a, a sword of fire going to strike anyone who was talking in the back of the church. Anyone who's just chattering. The angel would see someone, oh, he's not really taking this seriously. <laughs> he would go to that person. And then St. John would be like, hold up, hold up, just calm down. It's okay. Like, give him a little bit of time. But the focus is not, is not on what, that, what happens in that scenario. The focus is on what happens when people would come and partake of the Eucharist with preparation. What would he see in that case? He would see the light of Christ coming from his mouth, coming from the altar, emanating to the person who receives the Eucharist. And he would walk away from the Eucharist radiating light. Just imagine like you're in a glow-in-the-dark type of person. Like you're out, you're out into the world just radiating light. That's what St. John the Short would see. Right? We don't see that because we don't have eyes of faith. And that's why so often children will see these things. Children will see the, the beauty, the mysteries of the, the heavenly hosts in the church. Right? Like one of the stories I remember uh, while Pope Shenouda was going around the church, a little kid was chasing behind him and kind of doing this with his hands. And then one of the moms came and like pulled the kid away. So like, hey, don't bother Sayyidna while he's going around. And he said, no, just leave him alone. He's playing with the wings of the angels. Right? The angels are around us. We are in heaven, right? It's, it's not just that we're elevated to heaven. But heaven itself comes down to us. That's why the deacon says, you who are seated stand. Look towards the east, let us attend. It's not just to have reverence and respect. It's because the angels are standing. The angels are looking towards the east, or looking towards God. The angels are attentive. So, like I always tell you, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in heaven, do as the heavenly hosts do. We're in heaven, every liturgy. We have access to the source of life. Right? Like, just talking about this, meditating on the beauty and, and the grace that we have access to receive. Like, what we say, you have given us what, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has come upon the heart of man. That's the prayer that we pray in concluding the liturgy. We say that you have given us what the angels desire to behold. It's like the angels are up there looking at us and it's like, wow, they're so stinking lucky. They get to receive Christ. 
like all the cherubim and the seraphim are carrying him on the throne and they're like wow this is great but they get to receive him inside <laughs> they carry him in their hearts it's something that transcends the grace that even the archangels receive today we commemorate the relocation of St. George's relics right? you remember the beautiful story of St. George whenever he was given poison to drink you all know this story and he just made a sign of the cross on the cup and what happened to that poison it was transformed into just any sort of harmless liquid he drank it nothing happened and they're like okay we know what you're doing like he's this witchcraft with the sign that you're doing so they tie his hands behind his back right so what does he do next he makes the sign of the cross with his face right and then he drinks the poison what happens nothing it's totally harmless if the sign of the cross done by someone's face can transform poison into ordinary substance imagine this whole liturgy that we pray that has been handed down to us from the apostles from the first century until today the hours of preparation and the liturgy and the readings and all of the prayers that we do for this bread and this wine to be transformed into the body and the blood of Christ. How much more powerful is that to us? How much more transformed is that bread and wine for us as the Eucharist, as the body and the blood of Christ? This is why we enter the church. This is why we are baptized. This is why we are chrismated. Okay? This is why we've become Christians. We are embarking on this path to be united with Christ. Right? And so let's, let's engrave that in our mind. Right? Let's, let's truly, truly believe that. Because if we believe that, then our whole lives will change. Our eyes will be open. When Luke and Cleopas were on the road with Christ, and he gave them the sermon of their life, they didn't know a single thing about what he's talking about. And it wasn't until they sat down together, and he breaks bread. And what happens? Their eyes are illumined. Then like, oh, now we get it. You didn't get it when Jesus gave you the sermon of his life for the past eight hours? Yeah, but that's one thing. Partaking of his body and his blood is another thing. I pray we have that faith to recognize that what we receive is the source of eternal life. Unto Him is due all glory forever. Amen.